0: Explain, we're talking really about the 486 primarily on this show, and what makes the 486 the 486? How is it different from the 386, chip Again, it's, a, it's several different factors. The 386 had a budget of about 350,000 transistors to work with. Mm-hmm. The 486 has 1.2 million. That's oh. four times as many. Okay. What that allows is a large amount of memory to be put on board the processor. Yeah. It allows certain functional units to be replicated. Instead of having to compute addresses one step at a time, you can compute the addresses all yeah. at once. Yeah. Uh, One thing the 486 does is a lot of speculative execution. It may not know what has to come next, but it does it anyway, just in case that has to be done. Speculative execution?
1: What could go wrong with that?
2: Hello, friends, and welcome back to your weekly Linux talk show. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. And my name is Brent. Hello, gentlemen. Well, coming up on the show today, I think I actually have the key to de-Googling my life without compromise. I sincerely mean it. I'll tell you about my weekend with Graphene OS, the new device I've got that I loaded it on, and how I'm moving away from the iPhone and Google, slowly but surely. And I think it's actually something anybody could approach if they're properly motivated. Then we'll wrap it out, talk a little bit of NextCloud. Then we'll get to some boosts, some feedback, some picks. And a heck of a lot more. It's a really big show today. Hopefully not two hours long. But let's get started by bringing in our virtual lug. Time appropriate greetings, mumble room. Hello. Hello, hello guys. Chris. Hello, Chris. Hello. Hello. hello, Brand. Well, hello. hello I friend. hope everybody had a good weekend. I know I did. I really, really used the snot out of Tailscale. So go say good morning to our friends over at Tailscale. It's a mesh VPN protected by Wirecard. We love it. It'll change your game. I'll tell you a little bit more about how I'm using Tailscale in a whole new way now. Go over there, say good morning at tailscale.com, and if you get a chance, tell me the Unplugged program sent you. This is a special episode 486. We're actually going to do a whole retro thing for the episode, which would have been kind of obvious. Still kind of wish we would have done it. But I ended up getting a real bug uh, up my bonnet, as they say, after that, that Google story about the dad that uh, had his account information handed over to the police when he took a picture of his son's medical issue using telemedicine. or Actually, the mom took the picture on the iPhone, sent it to the dad. The dad's phone auto-backed it up to Google Photos. Google Photos flagged it as child porn, suspended his account, sent all of his 15 years of account history to the police automatically, discontinued his Google Fi plan, and um, is not letting him back on the platform. This is weeks ago. Everybody's heard this story but it's really stuck with me. It, it I still think about it today because that very scenario could hit me. I use telemedicine. I've got three young kids. I, have to, until that story, had my photos auto backing up. And I don't know, I just since then have been thinking perhaps the calculus about giving my data to Google in return for good services is changing now. And maybe it's not the deal it once was. And that is kind of colliding with the fact that a lot of self-hosted services are getting better and better that provide alternatives. Yeah, that's for sure. So when we went on our road trip on the West Coast tour, when I was at Listener Jeff's house, we sat down and we installed Graphene OS on my Pixel 3. Old Pixel 3. And uh, I went in with low expectations. I'm not a huge Android fan to begin with. Um, I switched to the iPhone at iPhone 7, and I've kind of just happily done so. I, I was all in. I I liked it after the iPhone 7. I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do the subscription thing and I'm going to get an iPhone every year. And I have. I have an iPhone 14. I just pay a monthly price and Apple sends me a phone. It's a lot of iPhones. It's a lot of iPhones. And I've I have not been tempted to go back to And typically you
1: keep uh, you know, you, you generally keep up with the Android side. You you buy some of them to have as secondary devices. Yeah. You, you follow the news. I
2: have. I've dipped in. I've kept my Android device up to date. I've kept my Pixel up to date. I've Tried a phone, giving it to the kids, you know that kind of stuff. But it just the Apple stuff stuck. But now that calculus is changing as well. Uh, I think Apple is going to have a harder and harder time, especially for the next couple of years, selling eleven hundred dollar, thirteen hundred dollar phones. And as they sell fewer and fewer phones, especially because they're not doing anything crazy now, right? It's like we're kind of past the rapid innovation stage. Sort of a yeah, little little maximum.
1: Hill here where nothing's changing too
2: fast. And so, unless they've got some radical camera upgrades, you know, they're probably not going to sell a lot of phones. And as a result, especially since they have a fiduciary responsibility to their shareholders, they're going to try to monetize in other ways. And I believe Apple's plan to monetize will be to try to sell more ads, more services to their end users, to try to milk developers for more of their revenue. They're going to have more and more cuts. And they're just going to double down on everything that makes the Apple experience poor. They'll have great hardware, but they're going to have all these downsides as they look to monetize their massive user base. The deal with Apple originally with the iPhone was you buy expensive hardware and then they leave you alone. Right. That's what they're selling you. You're buying the hardware. That's not the deal anymore. They're changing it. Even if you bought the expensive hardware, they're changing it. And we, we document this on Coda Radio, and I follow it pretty closely, and I can see the direction Apple's going in. They're basically becoming their own little local Google. In fact, the new App Store in the latest version of iOS literally tracks every single thing you do in the app and streams the data back to Apple. So it's like, sure, it's fine that they're not collecting information unless it's Apple. Then they're collecting all the information, but I'm just supposed to be okay with that.
1: And that works uh, about as long as you can keep trusting Apple.
2: But I like that nice hardware. And I like that at least it's not tied to Google. And that I can dip into the Google services I want and avoid the other services. But it has that Apple dependency. And um, that's where Graphene OS seemed really, really appealing to me. They pitched themselves as the private secure OS. It's um, built on top of ASOP or AOSP, right? I always say it wrong. I like the way ASOP sounds, but it's not how you say it. I think you got to lean in at this point. You All just right. pronounce things however you like. Somebody tell me I'm doing it wrong graphing os has taken this approach of changing a lot of really small things and some major things i'll get to that that really add up to what to me seems like a ton of common sense improvements to android to make it more secure make it more private make it more anonymous and as a result i believe it improves the security of the os and the apps running on top of it and they support pixels they just focus on pixels that's good and bad it means you know you got to buy a Pixel phone.
1: Right. Not, not super accessible to, you know, your family member with a random Android phone they picked up.
2: The good side is they're really focused on good hardware support. And so within a month of the Pixel 7 being out, Graphene OS had an official image for it. You're not waiting around years. And they support all the way back to the 4A, up to the Pixel 7 and 7 and Pro. Nice, And you can put it on, like, the Pixel 3 like you and I have. It will work, but with just a limited set of updates, they disclose all that information. But like if you've got a Pixel 3 and it's not getting updates anymore and you just want to put a modern Android on there, you can load Graphene OS. And there's so many features that I think really make this stand out than, say, Calyx or Lineage or some of the other Android alternatives that are out there. I'm not an expert on any of these, but I'll tell you the ones, the features that I like, that I appreciate in Graphene OS, and I'll link you to the features overview page. I encourage everyone to read that because it just gets me so damn excited about what this project's working on. But here's the ones that are a real game changer for me. When you install Graphene OS, it's a very vanilla Android experience. And you turn on just the Google stuff you want. There's no Google search. There's no Play services. There's no Play Store. There's no Maps. It's a real bare Android experience. But they have this Graphene OS compatibility layer and they bundle a little app that lets you manage all of this that installs the official Google Play app and Play API. No hacking, no tweaking, and it is fully sandboxed. It gets absolutely no special access or privileges on your system. So you treat it like a normal Android application. And you have this profiles concept on Graphene OS. So like if you have a work profile and a home profile and you put the Play services and stuff in your work profile, It's not available to the other profile. Uh. And traditionally on Android, all that stuff runs with system-level privileges. On Graphene, it runs with user-level privileges, which does mean, like, if you want it to run in the background all the time, you actually have to go in and tell the OS to allow that. It doesn't just get to do that by default. That's how I prefer it, but I can understand people who want push notifications all the time and stuff. You might want to set it to run all the time. But since you get the actual Google Play app and the actual Google Play API, There's a pretty broad range of compatibility. It's not 100%, but um, Google Maps works. The Pixel Buds app to pair Pixel Buds works. Okay. So that means you can use Pixel Buds. Um, I actually, the reason why I ended up getting Play services was because I needed that to activate my eSIM fully. But it can do something as low-level as that without requiring system-level permissions. That
1: seems like a pretty gosh darn
2: good sign. It's nice. Have you had anything... That's not worked with the compatibility layer. Oh, good question. I know banking apps can be an issue for some. Ah, okay, and there is a community led like wiki of the apps that work. My bank apps work, but um, one of those. Have, uh,
1: try it. Try it and see.
2: Maybe it will. not yeah. I mean, there's a few things. Oh, yeah, the big one. Android Auto doesn't work. Oh, that stinks. Um, I got. I got to be honest. That's hard because. That's really how I work with everything. I prefer CarPlay, even, but I'll take <laughs> Android Auto. But I, I'm working on that. You know what? I'm I'm figuring that out. Uh, I, I'll, t- I'll, I'll tell you about that in a moment, but I am figuring that out. The other nice thing about having the sandbox method, instead of like a hack to get these on here, you really have full... You can just remove them if you don't want them after a bit. Um, but it does also mean that in-app purchases work. And if you want, unintended upgrades work. And the Play Store... It operates more like F-Droid. So it's kind of like on the same level of F-Droid. It doesn't get to just run rampant. Like when you're in there and you install an app, you get that more traditional, like, do you actually want to install this app prompt? Oh, wow. Because it's just, again, a regular app and it doesn't have the system level permissions to bypass that request. And so you're managing these Google apps at the level that everybody else has to play at, which feels a lot better to me and a lot safer. And so I've dipped into a couple of things. And I think I'm gonna experiment with replacing Google Maps with here maps. Okay, yeah. See how that goes. I don't know. I'd really I'm not I'm not loving that. But when I look at the team over there, I see a set of really sharp developers. And this is another thing I evaluated. Uh, you know that lock screen bypass issue that came out for Android in November? Yeah. Graphene OS team found that back in January and fixed Graphene OS. And unfortunately, and this kind of gives you an idea of the dedication of these developers, because the developer was implementing the fix and testing it for graphing os he did not complete the request by google in time to get the bug bounty and he focused on getting the patches out for graphing os and missed out on like seventy thousand dollars but that's how dedicated these guys are and gals to this project and you know it's neat that there's they're finding this stuff and reporting it to google as well and getting ahead of it before google is in some cases And then you combine that. And again, you'll need to read the features overview. You combine that with all the tweaks they've made to the underlying OS that sometimes make things a little more inconvenient. Like in the example of the Pixel Buds. Okay. And I don't think you'd have a problem with this, Wes. I mean, honestly, my goal here is to convince you to try it. You can't just like open the app and open the case on the Pixel Buds and all of a sudden they just see each other and it's just like magic. I actually had to go into like the Bluetooth settings and discover it and then pair it that way and then switch back over to the app. It's like sometimes... There's just a few things that are just a little more secure by default that require, like, you have to, oh, no, I have to enable that permission.
1: Uh, yeah, you got to take an active role in yeah. allowing that to happen. Just
2: so a little bit more of that. But I don't feel like somebody like yourself or, you know, our listeners would have a problem with that. Or, you know, yeah, Brent or anybody in the mom room, I think that'd be fine. We prefer it that way.
1: As long as, I mean, yeah, you get to a place, then the, uh, you know, the earbuds work fine.
2: So for me, um, I wanted it to not be a compromise experience. So, all right, take the, that's my, that's my new phone I got there. I, uh, I, I put it back in the box just so you could see the whole experience. I've had it out of the box and I've been using it, but I reboxed my Pixel 7 Pro that I picked up on a Black Friday deal. And I've put Graphene OS on there. I'll talk about that process here in a moment, but I just, you know, wanted you to see the premiumness of the product. It's nice. Oh, this is a, this is a big, big.
1: sharp-looking screen. See how it
2: feels in the hand. See how it feels in the hand there. It's got the uh, underscreen thumbprint reader, and I think it has some sort of face recognition, although I don't know if I have that working or not. Oh, the screen is lovely. Oh, it's very nice. Yeah. 120 hertz, too. It's heavy, but not too heavy. No, it has a nice, I mean, it's very smooth. Yeah. Yeah. Performance has been fantastic. Look at this uh, camera bar on here. Yeah. Yeah, it's a serious camera bar. That thing is no joke right there. (laughs) And it's really high metal quality, too. It's a glass back, so I am going to get a case, but I wanted to try it without a case for a bit. Lovely bezels as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it curves. The edges of the screen curve a little bit, and that's actually kind of a pleasant UI trick. This feels like a premium product. It's nice. And it's running Graphene OS. So you just have a very smooth setup process with Graphene OS, and I have to give the project prompts for this. They have a web-based installer. You need to be using a Chromium-based browser of any variety, but it needs to be a Chromium. And you need to go into the system and turn on developer options and turn on USB debugging and things like that. And I believe you need to have ADB installed. I already had it installed. So you can do it from Chrome and your Linux box. I did it from my Nix laptop and did the web-based installer. It goes through each one of the processes. Once you get it back into the bootloader area, it reflashes it. It relocks it all up for you. It locks it down again so it's not left exposed to get, like, some sort of, like, bootloader hack or something like that. That is fancy. And you're running Graphene OS. And I've already done one automatic system update, and it just gets it through the standard upgrade process.
1: So you're feeling pretty secure about, like, just having it operationally as a phone,
2: something you can depend on. I think the breakthrough thing for me and why something hasn't really clicked for me is that build-it-up approach. Super clean, really secure by default Android. And I can just add a couple of things. I'm not, at the OS level, I'm not signed into a Google account. I went two days before I even had the Google search app installed. and I thought, well, I'll see if the voice search works. I'm curious to know if it works with Graphene OS. I went several days before I even had That, that is a very different Android experience. Very different. Because, you know, I had to use it stock for a few minutes to get everything, like make mm-hmm. sure all the firmware mm-hmm. was up to date. And uh, I thought maybe it'd be better to activate the eSIM with the stock OS, yeah. but I had to just reactivate it anyways. But anyways, um, there's like 50 apps pre-installed on that thing. Ooh. And they all have essentially the same icon. It's horrible. It's just like, <laughs> so I can't even tell any of them apart. It's a blue circle, isn't it? Yeah. A, a white and blue circle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's very obnoxious. And the Graphene OS project feels much more focused. And they're really heads down on supporting the pixels, which means you get just top-notch support. And you can go on something like Swappa and you can find a Pixel 4a like 160 bucks and then you could put graphene os on there boom and now i have something i kind of would feel safe putting a mobile bitcoin wallet on and i'm thinking could i use this for my family like could we all Ooh. use fluffy chat for our family chat yeah and could we use graphene os devices and to me there is one clear hole that i think our audience has to just come up with a solution for and that is obviously all the syncing you get Your contacts, your calendar, your photos, all the back-end services that are just table stakes for smartphones, you need a replacement for that. And if you're doing this to be private and secure, it needs to be something that's self-hosted. So I'll tell you about my solution for that. Linode.com slash unplugged. That's where you go to get $100 in 60-day credit on a new account. And it's a great way to support the show while you're checking out fast, reliable cloud hosting. Linode has the best support in the business, too, and the best performance. And on top of all of that, it's like the perfect trifecta. They're 30 to 50% less than the hyperscalers out there that just have, like, these Borg-like platforms that, you know, want to assimilate you. And then their performance doesn't even match Linode. And today, Linode has 11 data centers you can choose from, and they're going to add another dozen next year. So they're, they're going to more than double their current infrastructure. I've shopped around. I've seen some of these, like, suspiciously cheap VPSs out there. And, uh, you know, I've watched them over the years, too. And I figure, like, I could run a system there sometimes for a little while. And, of course, in my definition, I'm talking about infrastructure I want to last for years. And I just, the math has never worked out. When you look at Linode's pricing, when you look at their reliability, when you look at their track record of nearly 19 years of a fantastic product, and you look at the performance you get, and performance matters to me. I just, I can't make those other guys work. It's just Linode. I just set up a sync thing box again. I've done this before in the past, and because I have a new home server, I wanted to move a whole bunch of data. And for whatever reason, thanks Comcast, for whatever reason, sync thing has to be, like, I guess relayed when it's transferring files to my system uh, at home on Starlink. So the way I get around that is I set up a sync thing on Linode, I have everything sync from the studio to that Linode. And then from that Linode, I sync to my machine at home. And like that goes direct. And so it's super fast. It's as fast as my connection can take it. And I still have the studio system on the Comcast connection. I still have it participating. It's still in there sharing the files. It's just a small little trickle compared to the fire hose I get from Linode. And it's just so useful to just spend. I mean, it probably, I'm not even kidding you guys five minutes maybe maybe because it's just a it's a it's a docker pull away to get sync thing and uh you know i already had the linode set up it was just amazing it, like it just was like oh this is so obviously the way to go and once you start using linode you just discover more and more uses for it that just makes so much sense and you wonder how did you do it any other way before or why so go try it out because that hundred dollars gives you a chance to really see what i'm talking about like that's Actual, a good chunk of change. You can really try out the different services for 100 bucks. See what you think and support the show. Go see why they keep sponsoring, because so many in our audience have tried it and loved it. Maybe they're on to something. Linode.com slash unplugged.
1: All right, you've got me interested. I would like a little less Google in my life. Maybe not, you know, maybe not no Google. What do I do? If I'm still syncing to Google Photos, I definitely am still using Google Contacts for a bunch of stuff that I should clean up anyway. I do I do need some syncing in my
2: life. What did you do? Yeah, I definitely need to do some cleanup as well. I feel like this is a key thing, not just for me. I could probably make local contacts and calendar work. But I kinda
1: I don't want to live in fear that I uh, you know, right. I lose my phone and there we go. That and, seems crazy.
2: And if you're gonna do contacts cleanup, wouldn't you rather do it with a keyboard and mouse than you know, tapping it on your phone for two hours. I mean,
1: really, that's what got me hooked on Google Contacts in the first place, yeah. right? It was early days. So I was like, oh, I can just sync this right to my phone? Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
2: And if I was going to try to make a family member use this instead of their iPhone, I got to make sure their stuff's covered, too. And so I think for people like us that have that kind of requ- those requirements, I think you have to heavily consider rolling your own NextCloud as a dependency to going to Graphene OS. I don't think it's required. I mean, hell, you could sync to Google for some reason if you wanted to. But with DAVX5, the app, and Nextcloud, you can sync all of your CalDAV, all your CardDAV stuff to Nextcloud, to your Android device. And it's, it's so nice. It is, it's powerful. I, like you, needed to clean up my contacts and I felt like this was the time to do it. Right. So to be able to sit down on my Nextcloud instance and clean it all up there, and then a couple of minutes later, I looked on my phone and it was all done. And I was like, God, that worked. It worked so, so well. And then with DAVEX, you can sync your settings there. But then also, Graphene OS just semi-recently added Nextcloud as one of its backup targets. So you can do a full phone backup to Nextcloud oh, okay. every See, night. Right there, that, that might just cross the... Yeah. That might just really seal the deal off. And though. you know, um, on iOS... And before, on my Pixel 3, when I was trying Graphene OS for the first time, I was using that handy Photosync app to back my... And I still have it installed. It's still a nice app. But honestly, if you just go all in on NextCloud, and it's a little better on Android, you can just use the auto NextCloud photo backup. And I've been... So I've been using that over the weekend. I turned that on. And it's pretty good. I haven't used it for a while, but you're right. I should probably give it a proper go. It does that thing where it, like, detects, like, a new directory. I hate that so much. Yeah. So you got to, like, deal with that. (laughs) Maybe irrationally so. No, I don't like it either. But the other day, it's like, <laughs> hey, do you want to back up the Telegram photos directory? And I was like, why Why not? Maybe I do, actually. Sometimes I get great kid photos or something. So I was like, all right, yeah, back that up. So sometimes it's not so bad. Um, but now I'm just letting NextCloud do that automatically. And it has controls in there for about, like, do, wait till you're charging, wait till you're on Wi-Fi. And so just using NextCloud with DAVX 5 for that type of syncing And then using Nextcloud for the graphene OS backup and the photo backup, it just made Nextcloud like the missing piece for this. And so, what I decided to do was install Nextcloud using, you guys know me, the Linux Server IO Docker image using Docker Compose. You didn't use the snap package? No. Although I might as well, because I'm using a SQLite database. You can shame me about that later, because I know I'm going to regret that. But I wanted it really simple. And what I decided to do is only put that Nextcloud. In my tail scale network, oh, hey, ah, so you can't get to it unless you are on my tailscale mesh LAN. and of course, I've put tailscale, which is continuously connected on the pixel seven, so it's always on tail scale, and then it's doing all of its syncing back to the next cloud over tail scale and that's when I realized I probably could have just put this next cloud on tailscale anywhere. you know, I wanted it on my local network, but whatever. And that's working surprisingly well. I, I did a proof of concept on iOS, and it works as long as you remember to relaunch the Tailscale app once or twice a day. Of course. But on Android, no problem, <laughs> which has been nice. It's been kind of a nice change of pace. We well, really get the, to embrace that like mesh flat network, right? Like, Yeah.
1: It's, you have your own thing. You don't have to confess, especially since this next cloud, like, you're not using it. You can use an XCloud for a lot of different things, right? Like you could have it be a, a more public sort of, here, get access to files or a public
2: place to, mm-hmm. to view stuff. Mm-hmm. Not your use case. Why have it on the public internet at all? Why at all, right? And so I, that was that was my big breakthrough. I was like, well, now I don't mind putting my data on there because you can't even talk to it unless you're in my network. It's beautiful. And the Tailscale app works so damn well on Android. And the net notifications are so much better on Android. You know, there's a lot of them, but you can manage them and minimize them. And some you could just hide. And like, once you start setting that up, it's a lot better. But having this sync to NextCloud in the background has been like the final peace of mind. I could, you know, drop that phone in a boating accident and, you know, God forbid all my Bitcoin was on. It's all gone now. And I dropped it in the ocean and I can just get a new Pixel and sync my contacts back. You do, you do a, a lot of negligent boating. That's yeah, you know me and the boating. So I'm blown away. I knew with the Pixel 3, I was like, OK, this is pretty good. Like when I first tried it on the older device, I was like, this is better than I expected. My days of Android ROMing were a little rough. Camera didn't work so well. Oh, that's another thing. I, I got the camera app from the Play Store. The Graphene OS camera gets the minimum job done. But like 70% of the reason I bought the phone was for the camera. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah I noticed they said like a
1: security-focused camera or yeah. something like that.
2: Yeah, and it's getting better. It's an open source project, and they're continuing to update it. But you can also, this is kind of the benefit, actually. Google has modularized so much of their apps and they've just loaded it all up in the Play Store that you can pretty much pick and choose what you want from the Android experience from the Play Store. And so I just got the camera app. And now I have both. And, if, you know, I want to use the toys. I, I launch the camera app and I just want to take a basic picture. I have the other app. It's fine. Um, and, oh, another compromise for the better, I think. Uh, you can load Google Assistant on there and you can manually invoke it if you want. But there is no, like, remote. Oh, you can't just yell at your phone. Cannot yell at the phone. Not even with the Pixel Buds. There is, wow. that stuff ain't happening. There's no yeah. always listening. That ain't happening. And so you got to give up that. However, I actually find that to be a nice compromise. Because if you want to do voice search, you can manually invoke it by launching the app. Or probably setting some sort of macro. But it's not always monitoring. Which seems kind of perfect to me.
1: And There's probably a lot of folks that would uh, will take that bargain.
2: Right? Yeah, if you especially if you don't you don't use the uh, voice assistant at all, then it's even better, right? Yeah. So it's very easy to get it going. I I do heavily recommend Nextcloud. I think that would be important, but I don't know if it's necessary if you have other ways of syncing. Brent, I know you've been a lineage user forever. Um, I know you've looked at Graphene a little bit. Do you have any questions or any thoughts on comparing the two?
0: Yeah, I have been. Running this exact solution, Chris, for about four years now, (laughs) I think maybe you and I haven't talked about it enough, Uh, but I'm super happy to hear you found it. But one of my first questions is, why now? Like, what made you shift now? I know you mentioned that article, but I'm sure you've been thinking about those kind of implications before then. But I'm curious, is like, do you feel like the technology is there now or that there are some of those solutions in place that make you maybe not miss more things?
2: It's several things. The Pixel 7 is a decent phone. I haven't really been very compelled by the other Pixel devices. The Pixel 6 almost got me. Um, but then I started hearing reports of data connectivity issues from the audience. And I thought, oh, eh, wait. And then the 7 came out. And uh, I was like, that's a pretty nice phone. I might pick that up when it's used. But then they had a Black Friday sale. So it was like 300 bucks off. Like That's a pretty good deal. So I was like, okay, all right, I'll consider that. Um, so there's that element, the hardware and the right price at the right time. The other element I think that is a factor is that I kind of see a trajectory of Apple becoming more and more uh, customer hostile. I think the Apple fans won't want to admit it, but I think it's happening. It's a shame because obviously they're really innovating on the hardware level, um, especially on the Mac side right now. But I think from a services side, they're just going to become more hostile. And so my thinking is, is get ahead of it and begin building a lifeboat that gets me away from Google and Apple and create a platform that I could move my family to. And that's where I see it, what I'm doing here. That's why I bothered setting up the next cloud first. I got the back-end infrastructure and the syncing all figured out first, then put, then executed on the hardware. And that just happened to line up with Black Friday. But also... At the end of this, I want to be able to say next year when, you know, the next round of phones come out, I want to say, yes, I am going to get, you know, a pixel for Hadia now instead of an iPhone. I want to be able to make that shift. And then the kids, you know, they all want phones and they're asking for phones every year. And it's of like, course. do I, you know, do I bring them in on iOS or do I, is this my opportunity to kind of like put our family on something that respects our privacy and our security a little more and doesn't feed into some kind of machinery? And so we're, all those things are just sort of coming together for me right now. And I have been resistant to running another NextCloud instance, but a little MVP container that two or three of us use behind Tailscale actually might just be the ticket. And I I really picture Google like this giant evil octopus that has been putting its tentacles around more and more aspects of my life. And they almost got me with the Google Assistant and the Nest stuff. and I. I, You know, thankfully, I've pivoted out all that and whew, avoided that tentacle. But, you know, as, as as Apple begins to frustrate me more, where else am I going to go? I got to come up with a solution and I want to come up with a solution that I can reckon, recommend to the family and a solution I can recommend to the audience. And my feeling is the sooner we stop sending signals in to the data collection machine, the better. And so I'm taking this leap. We'll see. It's been my daily driver for uh, the extended weekend so far. I, uh, I'm you know, I know I'll miss, like I have the Apple watch. I'd really miss that.
1: That's a big, yeah.
2: And I also have family, a large part of my family. that's all on iMessage. Right. And that's, I don't know what I'm going to do about that. I mean, That might be why I keep the watch. Because maybe that's how I do iMessage. I don't know. It's not a good experience. None of that stuff's ideal, but that's what I'm signing up for to figure out. So that way I can make it easier for them.
0: Now, JMAC in our matrix hat has a good question, which is, does this DevX NextCloud setup work on iPhones? And I think I can clarify there in saying that it's an Android-specific application that allows the Android system to see your NextCloud shares uh, natively, which is really, really nice. But that question actually brings up another point for me. And I, I'm curious, Chris and Wes, you as well on your input. I don't think you need to wait till you get a pixel and a graphene OS phone to start moving your stuff. Uh, Like there's a multi-transition method you can use here. So instead of, you know, sitting down for an extended weekend, Chris, like you did. Well, actually, you've been working on this for months, including during our trip. But you don't need to, like, revamp everything all at once. You can, you know, bring up a NextCloud server and just move your contacts over and play with that for a little bit and gain some confidence in that system while also having you know the backup of your traditional system in place and once you get a little bit happy with how that's working move another thing you know move your photos there as well or like try a few you know if you have an android phone already try a few applications that are alternatives like maybe through F-Droid or something and so i i feel like you can make that transition a little smoother and not necessarily feel like you need to do it all at once and take a huge risk by doing that. Is that something you would recommend, Chris? Or do you think the whole all-in approach is maybe the better one?
2: Uh, I can see it. I can see merits of both, to be honest with you. On iOS, you can download a sync profile from NextCloud. you got to dig around in the settings, but you'll see it. There's a little profile link there. And then you can load that into iOS to use it as the backend for syncing. In my case, I decided to make it extra hard using tail scale of course <laughs> you know i had to yeah ios was tricky with that but i think you're right i think your overall points is is dead on brent like uh, you could move over just bits and pieces so for me it is contacts and photos i don't have a bulletproof solution for calendar yet i imagine i'm going to use Nextcloud calendar but i don't really know how to do that because i'm not really the one that puts most of the events on my calendar it's my wife uh, yeah and like so is there a calendar app she could put on her iPhone where she could manage my calendar on NextCloud and then things would show up on my phone? Or I'm not quite sure. I think I need to figure out for both Android and iOS, and I would love suggestions. Please boost or send them in. Uh, calendar management apps that are essentially a front end to the NextCloud calendar stuff. So I've done contacts, photos, and I basically have a blank calendar, so I'm syncing a blank calendar. And I think what's next for me is going to be maps. I'm going to try here maps. I know you have that crazy OpenStreetMap program, Brent, that you use. We'll see. I know you can use Google Maps in incognito mode, but that just sounds really annoying because you got to invoke it every single time. What do you mean? Google Maps actually has an incognito mode.
1: Did you yeah, know? I'm I more, I more meant. Uh, what's the like operational cost of that invoking every time?
2: Uh well, I mean, like you know, like I think it means you're not going to have. You know, when you start typing and it's someplace you've been, it's in the drop down. You could just like all the saved stuff. And then the thing I really truly want from a good map, no app, tapping, go home. Yeah. And I want to like remember locations and save locations. And then I want to have access to that for years. Mm. So you want something that you can stuff some data into and have, but just feel a little better about them having it. Yeah. Oh, and then the other thing I'm replacing and I've just roughly begun is something Hidea and I actually use is we use location tracking for each other just so we can check in where somebody's at so she can see if I'm still at the studio and we use find my right now. Of course, Google offers a service for that, but the whole point is not to do that kind of stuff. So I'm using phone track with Nextcloud right now. Um, that might be my ultimate solution. Currently we are just using home assistant. So home assistant provides a lot of nice functionality as well. And one of them is location information. So hmm. Hadia can just launch the home assistant app and check my location in home assistant. So I have a temporary solution for that, but I don't know if that's a long-term solution. Um, I think you'd love it. I think you would. I think you'd feel good. First of all, you got a Pixel 3. I've been yep. there. And some of the stuff that just didn't run very good or was a little crashy on my Pixel 3 has been flawless on the 7. No problem. Uh, the screen is fantastic. I, that. I could tell that already. And there is this like uh, great feeling of having this stuff and not being tied to Google. And it, it, what it does is it flips the relationship to where I feel like it should have always been, where I'm choosing to use Google, and I'm choosing how much access they get. Yeah, that
1: part seems really
2: nice. You know, like, I don't, I don't know, I don't necessarily need
1: absolutely no Google, but on a, on a regular Android phone, even on a Pixel, you really don't get
2: any say. And there's some really sharp security folks that I follow who really have gotten behind graphing OS. And I know Calix OS is really well respected as well, but the Graphene OS stuff, all the changes, plus the way they handle the play sandboxing, I feel like is the real nice one-two combo.
0: Okay, I got a next question for you, Chris. When do you think you'll feel comfortable with deleting some of your Google services, like information even possibly, would you even consider
2: getting rid of your account? That's tricky because some JB stuff is tied into it. Um, some backend like like the YouTube account is tied into my stuff. Oh yeah,
0: fair enough. But conceptually,
2: yeah, that's my goal is basically to minimize it as much as possible. Gmail would be hard, but not impossible. Um, could do that. I probably should have jumped on that Proton Mail Black Friday sale. That'd be nice. You know, the one that's really really hard for me is YouTube. I have NewPipe or whatever that app is, and like you gotta do like a whole account export to like import your your watch subscriptions and preferences oh, like, that's tricky uh, yeah i've got a, i've built up a youtube habit i'm with you there it's fountain has helped break it a little bit but man i just so that's a tricky one for me and i like it on the tv too i like the youtube on. i just i got youtube people i've been following for years it's just tricky i suppose one benefit at least is just
1: the more things you shift the less your uh remaining google account has any yeah you know, it's just a worse and worse representation. It still has all some of the historical stuff, sure, but less and less signal.:
2: Yeah, I think the email would be a big one.:
1: And you have you are no longer like if something bad happened, it could still be you know it could still be detrimental, especially from the business connection, but it would not be
2: nearly as bad as just like a complete lockout of your digital life. You got it. All right, let's tidy a few things up around here. Um, in fact, let's start with that geocache. We've got some great news in that regard. Yeah, Jared and his
0: family went out searching for geocaches again, if you will remember. They tried at the Folsom geocache where, I guess, I guess that one vanished or someone found it or something like that. Mm. But they were traveling for Thanksgiving, American Thanksgiving, and uh, just happened to do, plan a detour to to the Grants Pass
2: geocache that we dropped and they found it. That's so great. (laughs) I love, I love that it was them too. You know, Jared and his family, they've worked hard for a geocache. And if I recall, Brent, you were concerned that particular geocache might be a little hard to find.
0: Yeah, that geocache was, let's just call it a giant pile of boulders or, you know, hundreds of feet worth of boulders. And we hid the geocache under one of them. We made it (laughs) sort of obvious if you were standing within the boulders let's just put it that way um but it uh was you know it's not the easiest search so you'd have to work at it a little bit and uh, jared was great sent some photos and a video of them searching and finding it with kids and it was just so great so jared mentioned that he took a few of the stickers and uh, a little mini computer that we threw in there but left some of the swag in the geocache for someone else to find well that's nice
2: Yay! So the geocache is still there. Mm-hmm. That, okay, really cool, Jared. That's very cool of you to do. We've been talking about this internally, and I think our, our thought process is, is like, a little bit before the spring, we get this rolling again, hoping that our community can help us with a website where we could kind of give instructions, hints, list where they're at roughly, like an index of that, but also a form that people could fill out to request that JB send them a geocache Swag capsule that they could then deploy in their area yeah. and then add it to the list on the website. So that's, I'm hoping something we can offer next year. We'll see. I love it. This is so, this is so great. And it lights everybody up. Like when these came in, mm-hmm. uh, I, I sent them around. I know you guys sent them around. It's uh, it's pretty cool. So congratulations, Jared. I'm glad you guys found that. You can go find our uh, other little geocache out there in Las Vegas. It's Alex. He's at AWS reInvent this week. Can go say hi. I think he's at the airport right now, uh, or maybe maybe he's boarding as we record to go to Vegas. Oh, that's great! And he just got his six out, so hopefully uh, he won't end up <laughs> he won't end up catching anything. So go say hi to Alex. He'd love to see you. All right, we have some baller boosts to get to, and I mean baller boosts. So thank you, everybody. We wanna we wanna get to those at this point in the show as a as a big thank you. Our first one is Zach Smith who boosted in with 555,555 555 <laughs> sats. Wow. That is Nuts. impressive. Hey, um, and they just said thanks for the great show week after week. Cheers to a healthy, independent podcast network long into the future. And P.S. Lightens a pita. Hopefully it improves over time. Yeah. It definitely can be. That's why... <laughs> That's When Zax and others boost in, it's like, wow, not only did you take the time to do this and there's real value attached to this, but sometimes it's not easy. And depending on the trajectory you take, it can be very obnoxious. So thank you, Zax. That was a record setter right there. I think that's the largest boost we've ever gotten to the show. I'm pretty sure it is. And um, it definitely put us up on the charts, too. So big, huge thank you. True Grits came in with 149,312 sats.
0: Keep the change, you filthy animal. These sats are
1: for the hard G. In gnome. and by that I mean pronounced genome just kidding I really like gnome better as for Dylan's laptop why not just boring old Ubuntu on an LTS possibly his needs don't seem that high or the distro he had before Fedora Elementary keep the extra sats let's beat that other podcast and I just want to hear Janeway again
2: There's coffee in that nebula. So I think, TrueGrips, you just bought the pronunciation. So now it is Genome. Genome. It's Genome. Officially, the GNOME desktop environment has been changed to (laughs) Genome here on the show. Uh, If you hate that, well, then you need to beat 149,000 sets. (laughs) I'm looking forward to Genome. I'll picture Captain Janeway every time we see it and say it. So I love it. Uh, Gene Bean who's a frequent booster, came in with a big old baller boost of 115,000 sats. Hey, rich All right, guys, here's the problem. John A. used inside information, because he was in studio last week, to mount, to mess up the pronunciation. Okay, well, there, he got it. It is now pronounced GIF on the show, and at 115,000 sats, I assume Gene Bean did the accounting, we will now officially pronounce it GIF on the show. Should we pronounce it Gein Bean then? I think so, yeah. Gene Bean. <laughs> so thank you, Gene Bean. And then um, some guy named Chris Last boosted him with uh, a week 30,000 sats last oh, week. I geez. know. Rude. Trying to pronounce gnome, gnome, but uh, <laughs> Gene Bean beat him. So we're going with GIF and we're going with, and then what is it? God dang it. We're going, going with <laughs> GIF and Gnome. <laughs> what have we done? What have we done? Let's get out of here. Let's stop. Let's stop talking about this. Uh, D3XBot boosted in. Says, longtime listener, first-time booster with 100,000 sats. Keep the
0: change, you filthy animal.
2: I just wanted to pop in and say hi while watching the live stream. Thanks, bot. Appreciate it. Marchy boosted in with 69,000 sats. Hey, rich lobster! 69,420. Ah, I get it. Uh, Marchy says, here's a contribution to beat that other pod. And let's boost LUP in the ranking. Enjoy the sats. The amount was chosen at random. Totally. 69420. Sure. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Totally. Well, it worked. You crazy generous bastards. Between November 17th and the 24th, Linux Unplugged was the number 1 boosted show on the entire platform. We were wow. in the top 50. Self-hosted there at number 9. Heck yeah. Two JB shows in the top 10. And you know, I am so grateful for you guys because a Linux podcast will never be in the top rankings of iTunes. It'll never be in the top rankings of Spotify or iHeartRadio or any of those podcast platforms. It will never. It just doesn't. Those platforms don't work that way. They don't cater to those listeners. But this is actually a platform I really do care about. And it's incredible to be ranking so highly on one that I personally do care about. And what really stands out to me is this is genuine signal. People voted with value, and they supported the show in the process. It's not downloads-based. It's sats-based, and that is real, genuine votes. That signal. Like, it came out a few weeks ago. iHeartRadio has been buying ads embedded in mobile games that download their shows in the background to boost their download numbers on the charts. So they're gaming the charts by embedding mp3 downloads in mobile apps. And that signal just doesn't work, right? Because a million people could download a dumb show. But here we are. When people have to vote with real value and we are in this peer-to-peer lightning payment system, which all runs on top of Linux by the way, there we are number 1. It's pretty awesome. And it means a lot to us. So thank you for the support, especially to our ballers. We'll get to more boosts in the show. But I just want to say a big thank you to the ballers this week. And of course, to, to Zach's who came in with just a, a 555,555 booze. I, I just can't even believe our channels took that. But they did because people have been generously contributing and we've been reinvesting that into our channel capacity. So thank you, everybody. Uh, that's really awesome. And uh, one of the things we're going to do this week and for the next, I think for the next couple of weeks, I think I'll leave it in there for a couple of weeks, is we're going to do a 10% split to the Graphene OS project. And then I'm also going to personally match up to 120,000 sats um, in that contribution. So I hope over a couple of weeks, as you boost in and support the show, uh, we'll give a 10% split to the Graphene OS project to help them invest in future development as well. So I'm very, very grateful. And we have another possible pronunciation we need to sort out. Um, Apparently, it's been noted that every now and then, Debian gets pronounced as Debian on the show. And uh, I believe it's spelled D E B I A N. I've heard of that project before. And uh, Amanzer says, You guys, we got to get this sorted. We got to get this right. I can't listen anymore. We have to have this figured out. Uh, Brent, in one episode, called it both Debian and Debian <laughs> in about a 30 second time span. <laughs> I've only ever heard one other person call it that. Maybe it's a thing, but we need to sort this out. So, uh, Brent, do you uh, want to put an opening bid on the pronunciation of Debian? See, I'm not,
0: I'm not convinced. I know which way it should be. I mean, Joe has a very strong opinion <laughs> on what I should think is the right way to do it.
2: Oh, I know what how it's pronounced. It's also not pronounced genome. You know, hey, hey. I mean, it is. It <laughs> no, should, it, is. It, it is right now. It is. It is. It is, and that <laughs> sticks until uh, there's a higher bid.
0: I think my French Canadian uh, brain keeps going to Debian. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to put a bit out there of. Um, 13,000.
2: 13,000 sats. All right. It's Debian until we hear otherwise. Sold to the handsome Canadian. Sold for 13,000 sats. Perhaps if somebody were to boost in with a correction, we could get to the history of how it's pronounced and why it's pronounced that way. We'll see. I don't know. I think Debian's kind of fun. I like it. It's fun. People listening, they'll tune the show like, why are these idiots saying it that way? (laughs) They'll be out of the loop. You know, they won't get it. It'll be our little secret.
0: You know how much I love secrets. I really like Genome on Debian, too.
2: Yeah, yeah. If you get a real solid Debian base and then the Genome desktop environment on there, (laughs) that's going to be great. That's my preferred platform to watch my GIFs. Bitwarden.com slash Linux. Go there right now to get started with a free trial for yourself as an individual or a team. That's bitwarden.com slash Linux. Bitwarden is simply the easiest way for yourself or a business to store, share, and sync sensitive data. And Bitwarden is fully customizable. In the enterprise, you can adjust policies to adapt it to your business needs. And the thing that we love about it here, it's open source. It's open source and it's trusted by millions in the community. It's what Wes and I use for all of our credential management, our recovery codes. You can use it for two-factor as well. It really streamlines all of that process. Speaking of two-factor, actually, I'll have a link in the show notes. They have a really good primer on two-factor authentication on the Bitwarden blog. And they say it's, you know, their headline is the top 10 burning questions on 2FA. But when you read through it, it's really just a, f- a fantastic primer on two-factor authentication, why, when, how. If you, like, are trying to suggest to someone, and I think this is something, as we approach the holidays, as the techie in my family, this is something I'm going to do, is I'm going to advocate for a responsible two-factor. You know, you got to do this right, because it's really easy to mess it up. And Bitwarden, I think, is that secret sauce that makes it approachable for normies. But it's a system I want to use as a power user, so it makes it also possible for me to support them if I need. They can turn to the community, of course, Bitwarden support. So there's a lot of options there. That makes me feel pretty comfortable about recommending Bitwarden to teammates and to family members. So I'll have a link to this what is two-factor authentication and the top 10 burning questions on 2FA in the show notes, which could be a good primer for folks. And in the meantime, just send people or yourself to bitwarden.com Linux and try it out. It really just keeps getting better. I've been a user for a few years, and that experience has just gotten more and more better. Very impressive. I love to say that. It's nice to see them keep at it. they got a good team over there. So try it out and support the show. Bitwarden.com slash Linux.
0: As always, we got some great feedback in our mailbox this week. Thank you, everyone. We are holding on to a few of the special ones for some of the holiday episodes that we're going to record. So, on to the boosts.
1: And now it is time for the Boost. We start today with eleven thousand sets from quinn Zips. I bought a Pixel Six for Graphene OS. I'm using Nextcloud
2: to sync photos, calendar, and contacts, and it works well. Here, Great here, show. yeah, Quinn, that's that's fantastic. I'd be curious to know other people's experience, especially if they've tried it over tail scale and if that's gone sideways or what I should watch out for. Don't want to go down the path of like getting pissed and I mean, that's my one concern. Is like I hit the wall and go back to iOS. I'm like I'm never doing this again. So any tips? Right, you get real busy in a little moment of just uh, everything falling down around you, and you mm-hmm. decide I can't rely on this. It's not working. Android Auto was a tough, was a tough one to swallow. The overall goal, I feel like, is more important than one particular thing like Android Auto. But that was a tough pill to swallow, and I've never. I've prided myself on never pairing a Bluetooth phone to my car. (laughs) Everything's always been physically wired. Wow, yeah, okay. So I never have it, like, connect to the wrong phone. But for this time, I decided, all right, I'll use Bluetooth because, you know, I can't use Android Auto and I don't want wires because I got a wireless charger for it, a car mount. It's not so bad. And now I discovered that, like, the, the meta data information of what's playing actually shows up on my head, you know. Oh, nice. Yeah, I guess that's handsome and handy and beautiful and all that, but I don't know. I'm still a little little sad about it. I'd have, like, my music app or my podcast app up on the device screen, and then I'd have my maps on the big built-in screen on in the car. Ah, uh, yeah. You know? Yeah, I do a monitor while I'm driving, and I can't do that. Maybe for everyone's safety.
1: d 3 X but boosts in with 486 SATs. How appropriate. You may want to look into Neko for the headless JB peer tube peering. It uses Firefox or Chrome to display the browser to multiple users for remote viewing parties. And this is just a handy dandy looking app. I know I've not tried it, I remember seeing it floating around. It does look quite nice if you want to watch something in sync with, uh, with some friends.
2: Huh. N E K O will have a link in the show notes for that.
1: Not sure how feasible that might be to run or maintain, but uh pointing the config's homepage at your live stream page might be a good start. And then, oh my, this this was a double boost with another four hundred and eighty-six sats. If I remember to do it after Thanksgiving, I'll spin up a Docker container on my home server and see how it works. All right, well, this is your reminder. Let us know how that works. I'd be very curious. Oh gosh, okay. <laughs> Triple boost? Yeah. Also, happy episode 486. What a number. And no, I'm wrong. It's a quadruple boost with 10,486 sats. Also, plus one for the hard G in GIF. Oh my goodness. Are you serious? They were a gift to the internet. But if you want to equally infuriate the hard G and soft G crowds, you can go with Mike Rugnetta's proposed pronunciation
2: zyfe i'm not unless unless somebody beats 115 i'm not i'm not doing well here's here's the here's the rationale if you can't beat them leave town and set up camp in the wilderness that's actually a pretty good motto that's kind of my life motto so all right Zeif, it is no i'm kidding no all right you know um we have more on the uh peer tube peering stuff so uh three X Stay tuned for more discussion on that momentarily.
0: MG boosted in with 22,222 sats, which I think is a row of grandpa ducks. This old duck still got it. I always heard, how are we pronouncing it now? G- Gif? That's my French-Canadian in there. I always heard <laughs> Gif came from graphic interchange format. Graphic has
2: a hard G. All right, fine. I'm calling it. I don't have anything to say on the GIF. Did I say it right? Did I say it right? Okay, okay. <laughs> All right. Very good. Very we good. need
0: a tracker. Ready one, take four. Also boosted in with 22,222 sets. Thank you kindly. Move to Fountain and loving it. Thanks for the great content.
2: I am going to uh, beta test Fountain. And uh, so I'll be back on Fountain FM for a little bit. So I have it installed right now. And I like it. You know what? It's been a, it's been a minute since I used Fountain. And again, the thing that's really solid is if you just lean into the clips... And let them wash over you and curate your clip feed. You can discover a lot of stuff. I've already started listening to another podcast again now that I'm back in fountain. It works. Nice. It works, I say. All right. So on the topic of PeerTube, and uh, for those of you that don't know what we're talking about, Jupyter.tube is our self-hosted PeerTube instance. And we've been trying to come up with a way to create a poor man's CDN. So that way we could spin up some VPSs on Linode over in a region maybe where we don't have enough listeners that are locally seeding it, and we could provide a peer in that region and smooth the JupyterTube experience out. And we've been wondering if there's a way to do that headless so we could just do it all from a VPS or something. Well, the podcasting consultant, Sir Alex Gates, boosted in with 10,000 sats and says, PeerTube, uses a JavaScript library, the P2P media loader for sharing. You can plug it into a Node.js server, get the tracker in the HLS files, and you're set. Alex continues with 1001sat saying, the podcasting 2.0 work I am doing for, the, for Peertube will add the tracker information to the RSS feed. You pair it with PodPing and you get instant notifications. So he's come up with a way to add some RSS podcasting spec standards to the RSS feed that PeerTube generates. So you could consume PeerTube content in a podcast player, in a 2.0 player, in theory, and you could get notifications in those apps using PodPing when something goes live. He says ActivityPub works too if you follow the account that publishes. So you could also use oh, yeah. ActivityPub. Nice. I like
1: the uh, just use the same library they're using approach too. I was just chatting before the show with uh, Tears Arm over in uh, our matrix room. Who'd been playing with uh, automating it using Selenium and uh, Python to talk to the PeerTube API, but hey, if you go if you go the Node.js route, just skip the browser part entirely. I like it.
2: Yeah, I wonder. Do you think YouTube will get its Mastodon moment where everybody gets pissed off about censorship or whatever it is, whatever topic it is, and and decides to move to a decentralized platform? Will that be PeerTube's moment? I I really don't understand, and I it's okay, but I I really thought. After Peertube 4.0 came out, which was a really good release, or maybe, I can't remember, maybe it was 3. I thought maybe we'd see open source and free software events or projects switch to using Peertube. But they didn't. Nobody, nobody did. Nobody did. Instead, they're just still publishing on YouTube. Like Ubuntu on Air for the Ubuntu Summit, it's all on YouTube. Uh, Linux kernel, Plumbers Conference, it's all on YouTube. It would at least be nice to see PeerTube getting into the mix, you
1: know, Sure, still published to the the proprietary stuff. I mean, that's what we do, right? But yeah, it has, it has come a long way and it's, I think we're continuing to be glad we, uh, you know, we set it up that first time. It wasn't quite ready for us. We weren't sure how to best take advantage of it, but the second time around it's been going
2: great. Yeah. The sort of minimum viable PeerTube setup. And I feel like other projects could use it the way we've been using it. I don't know. It's one of those things where, uh, you just the YouTube habit, even for me, is hard to break. So I, I, I get it.
1: Maybe it'll benefit if, uh, if sort of a more general interest in ActivityPub picks up and yeah. stays around for a while. Perhaps that'll help.
2: I wonder if that isn't the long-term trend that we see from Mastodon. We may see some folks move back to Twitter, but maybe we see broader adoption of ActivityPub. Wouldn't that be interesting? Ooh, I'll take it. Crypto Kyle boosts in with 22,223 sats. You're doing a good job. Says Debian. I'm sorry. Thank you. Debian has worked excellent as an HTPC box for me. And if you run testing, you get some pretty recent and quick updates. Plus, it works beautifully with CFS, including as a RAID 1 boot and root. Give it a shot. Way less BS compared to the others. So, Brentley, have you considered grand old Debian? It's been around for a long time. It's sort of the tried and true standard. People keep saying Debian, Debian, Debian. They just say Debian all, all, all the time, writing in. And that's definitely a signal that stood out. Are you considering putting Debian on the dev one?
0: I wasn't at all until about last week when we kept getting this feedback saying Debian's the way to go. You got to try it. It's a good blend of, especially if you use testing, it's a good blend of super stable and somewhat recent hardware. Yeah. And somewhat recent software. So I feel like
2: I got to try it. I have to be honest. My question would be, could you do Debian stable and flat packs? I know every, I mean, I, I feel like half the people that write in say do testing, but then why not just use like Ubuntu or something? Uh, like, it seems like the whole reason you're going Debian is to go stable. So why not go all in on Debian stable with flat packs? You and just, just sideload Nix on there, you know? Well, you could actually put Nix on there too. I knew it you would could. come to this. <laughs> you could put the Nix packager on <laughs> That's there. That's what and I'm, I'm
1: saying. Might hold you over for a few things that uh, you might Holy need on the f- f- command this line. This might
2: be worth trying. Good old vanilla Debian, tried and true Debian, with Nix and Flatpak.
1: Plus, you always have, you know, whatever Docker containers to fall back to if you need.
2: Yeah, uh, I hate running desktop software that way. Uh, oh, or- I prefer my Flatpak containers. <laughs> 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 I don't know. You guys want to try this? I mean, I wanted to get to Windows Eleven, but I have to be frank with you. I'm more interested in trying out Debian. Just haven't done it in years. Just straight old Debian. I- I'm down. And yeah. this is probably the only way we can actually convince Brent that he should go through with this exercise. Is but you got to like wipe, you got to wipe the dev One.
0: Yeah, I have a few questions about warranties and such around there, which I think uh, I'll do you're some fine. investigation with. You're
2: fine. Well, I got to get this laptop charging. We'll, we'll see. We're your but... warranty right here. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But what's HP, what's HP going to do about a bad outlet? uh i'm hoping it's just the charger <laughs> we're gonna see i don't know i have okay. no idea <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah we'll, find we'll out. report soon
2: okay all right but i really want to try it so find out because i really think you know uh i've had this experience now with silver blue and nix where like using flat packs using that kind of stuff really gets you pretty far you know we just tell brent to use a uh, clonezilla take it back up that way yeah you and clonezilla wes you're is it been like four episodes in a row that you've snuck Clonezilla Zilla in? Like, somebody needs to check that. I don't. <laughs> but, and I don't mean this ironically, you could get an older version of Plasma if you go with Debian Stable, and you might like it better, because I know you were kind of mm. in a golden era there for a while. So you could maybe go back a few notches on the Plasma belt and also get a real stable apt base that you're familiar with.
0: You know, I hadn't even considered that because I feel like Plasma's been doing a bunch of work lately, and I... Feel excited by that too, but I think there's something to be said about stability on your main production machine. So Mm -hmm. I think we just got to try it.
2: Yep. Yep. All right. Trev Dev boost in with 2000 tasty sats. Well, I've hit a cynical point where I mostly don't even have much of a desktop. No display manager, no DE, just my TTY and a window manager. Keeping things simple prevents a lot of frustration for me. It's not exactly suckless. But the less you have, the less you break. That is true cynical. That is, that is peak Linux cynical user. I just have a TTY. I fire up my X server when I need it. No window manager, no desktop environment. Can we do the podcast yeah. that way? You could probably. I have to say, I hope I don't ever go that far though. I like, I want the desktop environment to work. I feel like I've stuck it out with computers long enough now that they've got to nail this. I refuse to give in at this point. You know what I, mean? <laughs> I just, I've put up with crap for too long, damn it. Daja boosted with 4747 47 sats. B-O-O-S-T. You're doing a good job. I know you're technically not supposed to do this, but I've been running Debian SID for three-ish years as a software engineer. Don't tell uh, Canada. And it's been fantastic. You add time shift backup, and it's been no less stable for me than Ubuntu. I would hope it's been more stable. Right. That's my thinking with Debian is it's simpler than a full Ubuntu system. So there's less stuff there. And uh, again, with a workstation, that's probably what you want.
1: Right. And you're not going to get the uh, sudden directives or things included from upstream that you know you didn't really expect or that might go away in a couple of releases.
2: hundred percent. Well, I am glad we got that settled. Moving right along, gentlemen. Martin Abort
0: boosted in with 10,000 sets. It's over 9,000! Hi, Chris, Wes, and Brent. I think it would be fun if Brent would try OpenSUSE, Tumbleweed, on his Dev1. Now we're getting conflicting information here. Oh,
2: I thought we had it up on Debian.
0: That would bring him back to the latest KDE. It's AMD, so graphics work out of the box, and he would always have the latest software. I can help to get him set up if needed. Well, that's very generous.
2: Oh, that is nice.
0: Forget OpenSUSE micro OS for the desktop. All documentation online is based on a writable root directory. That future takes a little bit more time to mature. Kind regards, Martin. You have any inclination want to want try Sousa? Well, the last time we tested it, I think it was in the spring. I got really intrigued, especially with the really nicely built-in butterfess rollbacks. Right. It's been at the top of my list for throwing that on this machine. So I feel like maybe we need like a few weeks of just like, oh my goodness, trying stuff. Maybe we need a tournament style, you know.
2: I can't with DBN this. No, you know, OpenZuza. I, I feel like it, you have been suffering since the road trip. you got to get this fixed and yep, sorted.
0: Please. Yes.
2: And <laughs> I don't know. This, to me, kind of feels like a, a measure twice, cut once kind of a thing. Uh, you could spend three months trying out different distros. I, I just,
1: suppose at least with Debian, you don't uh, have to change your package manager.
0: Yeah. That's true. I think the reality for us is this question might just never be sorted, and I just need to jump into one, give it a try, see how much I suffer, and try the next one.
2: Or the other solution would be to have like eight computers, just one for each distro you might potentially want to try.
0: <laughs> oh, I have eight. That's not the problem.
2: <laughs> you can install Ventoy on a hard drive.
0: Darkier Elite boosted in with 2,222 sets. I'd like to let people know about NAS from QNAP, TrueMaster, and Asus Tor. Where it's possible to install an OS like TrueNAS Scale or Ubuntu, I learned it from the YouTube channel NAS Compares. He has several videos showing how to install power consumption and even video capabilities. I'm interested in QNAP TS464 with four bays in it. It has two NVMe slots, one could be for the OS and a PCIe slot as well, four cores and up to 16 gigs of RAM. As a cheap, always-running box, and it's small, too, it seems like a really great solution.
2: I have a QNAP here that I unfortunately got with a bad drive slot, and so I never really got to fully... Uh, yeah. And it's such a neat little box. It came preloaded with Ubuntu and an Ubuntu desktop. Wow. Yeah, it's got a little HDMI port on there. Yeah, it's pretty weird. And it's a cool little machine, and it had virtualization support, but that dead bay, and then I tried to get it RMA'd, and it just went back and forth forever, and I ended up moving on. And I still have it sitting upstairs on my desk, and it reminds me, <laughs> staring at me.
0: It looks nice up there. I always wondered what you used it for. Uh, I, I, I used a QNAP server that is ancient now. It was surprisingly nice because it sort of has all the features that you would want, and it was pretty stable, too. So I'd say give it a
2: shot. And they're compact, and it's a, co- it's a cool way to have like a little embedded Linux system. A little noisy uh, I did try it briefly in the RV, and you could hear the whine of the spinning rust. Ah, uh, sure.
0: I I also will say the one I used was extremely slow for network throughput, so that's something to consider.
2: I mean, I'm sure that I'm sure that's improved these days, but there's always the those things are just a compromise. Sometimes they're the right set of compromises.
1: The Golden Dragon boosts in with a row of ducks, coming in hot with the boost. On the topic of family support, I wish I could convince my older hardware home to move over so I could support them, but they have needs that require Windows. And yes, I've tried using bottles and wine, but so far have been unsuccessful. Also, for those with better opinions than mine, that's assuming a lot, I'm seeking a new distro home. I'm on a sixth gen i7 and an RTX 2060. Debian seems all right, but. And then Golden Dragon continues with 2,223 sounds. But I've never had to install NVIDIA by
2: hand. Maybe it's time to learn? Great show. Boost you next week. Good to hear from you, Dragon. And I, admittedly, it's been 100 years since I've set up an NVIDIA GPU on Debian. But the process is pretty straightforward. First, you just have to verify that, yes, indeed. Your system is seeing the NVIDIA card. And then my understanding is they actually do have a semi recent driver, although you might want to double check that, in the Debian contrib package repository. And if you add that repository, do your apt update, enable the non free stuff, then you actually can just do an apt install NVIDIA driver. I don't know. For sure, so I would love feedback on that. But it seems to be that's one of the many options available, and this one seems to be the simplest, because I reviewed a few for you. And I'll link to the simplest solution in the show notes so you can just review it there. And let me know what you think. I look forward to hearing how it goes. MG boosts
1: in with 2,023 cents Prediction. Chris will mispronounce a user's handle. I can't believe it. Has anybody ever made that? That
2: seems like a solid one. That does seem like a solid one. Yeah, like I, I could do it right now. Uh, I, I think this, I, this gentleman's name is Manuel, but the username? You want to give it a shot? Is it a J J sound or a G sound? <laughs> right, yeah. right. Uh,
1: Gamanuel 89. Well, Gamanuel 89 boasts in with 222 cents. Have you ever checked out Tuxedo computers? But mostly I'm thinking they're Tuxedo OS. I think they're kind of like the System76 of Europe with a sort of Pop! OS with KDE Tuxedo OS. I guess the version 2 is about to be released. Solid Ubuntu, stable base,
2: updated KDE Plasma and frameworks, advanced tools, and a lot more. It's a good question. So I put this one in the doc um, because I wanted to open up a conversation on the show about uh, Tuxedo OS in particular. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts. I generally am skeptical of vendor-spun. Linux distros. It took me a long time to come around to pop. <laughs> yeah, we were pretty yeah, skeptical at first there. However, every time I've kind of implied that I'm a little skeptical of Tuxedo OS on air, I've gotten notes from users that would say, actually, it's working pretty good for me. So I'm curious, what have you thought? What have you heard? Honestly, I didn't know it existed.
1: I mean, I've, I'm familiar with Tuxedo the company, but, you know, they're European based as we've said here, so I've never had an opportunity to actually maybe I've seen them at a you know someone with them at a conference or something like that, but I've never actually used one for any length of time. I did not know they had their own
2: operating system, so I'll have to check it out but well, yeah, it's been around for a bit now, and they you know have version two o s Brent, would you be inclined to use something like tuxedo os if you got some of their hardware or would you be inclined to just nuke and pave i I mean I think I'd give it a
0: try. What gets me interested is it feels like one of the few Distributions out there doing KDE as kind of their main interface. KDE seems like it's sort of the secondary in most places. I know that's not exclusively true, but you can write in and correct me. So this gets me kind of interested. And if they really are akin to the System 76 of Europe and they've been around for a while, as we know, I think there's something there. So I'd be curious to try it. Well, you know, they've
1: got a download right
0: here. He doesn't have to
1: get a tuxedo (laughs) computer.
2: You know, I don't know if, I mean, It does seem kind of compelling. So it has uh, Kernel 5.15, Mesa 22.2.3, PipeWire 3.60.
1: Okay, okay. Wire
2: Plumber is in there as well. Uh, They're going to ship the final release of Tuxedo OS 2. And I don't know when this page was updated, but I'm on their website. Uh, They're going to ship the final version with Linux 6 and the NVIDIA driver, which we were just talking about for Golden Dragon, version uh, 5.20. And then you're going to get Plasma 5.26.3. It does seem kind of good, doesn't it? Do we have a date on that release, by chance? I don't know. Let's see. I'll go over to their preview page. Looks like it was last updated on the seventeenth, so it's a pretty fresh beta. I mean, all that seems pretty fresh to me. So they're they're working on it. Interesting. Uh, I I think this is one where our focus should be on Debian right now, but down the line we could be outsourcing like opinion from the audience just to kind of start getting some input on it, what people think about it, what they've tried, what hasn't worked. And then maybe down the line, it is worth a, work, uh, a look, because one of the things I, I would like us to do, not that I have any reason to be suspicious, but I wouldn't mind if we pl- poked around, looked at how it was built, see if we see anything odd to us, anything set up a little off, you know, just because I'm curious. I, I doubt there would be anything, but if we're going to take a look at Tuxedo S, I I feel like that should be part of like it. Like wobbly windows or something, is that what you're thinking? No, I mean, I'm just thinking like weird <laughs> kernel modules or strange strange little bits here or repos that don't make sense. You know, just Got little it. things that could be a red flag. I'm sure there's nothing. But, again, as Linux users, I think we also have to check for this stuff, too, especially when there's so much choice out there.
1: Well, you are just curious also, right? Like uh, part of the thing about using someone, someone's distribution they put together is seeing all the choices that they make, all the little knobs and tweaks and setups that you have to do to make a coherent distribution. Awesome Matt boosts in with 6,969 cents. Coming in hot with the boost! I like Session and the concepts they use, but it has all the same problems as Library and Odyssey. It runs on a coin-based network on the back end. Red flag. Right. On the other hand, Signal is implementing their own coin for payments, and, well, Telegram rolls their own message encryption. Yeah, that's true. All red flags. That pretty much just leaves Matrix, which is more difficult to onboard normies, to. Yeah, yeah.
2: How did the state of encrypted messaging
1: become so dismal?
2: Boy, Awesome Matt nailed it there. That is truly the state of things, you know. And Telegram tried to go all in on the crap crypto stuff, too. They yeah. just they got knocked down. <laughs> <laughs> wow, yeah.
0: Yeah, right. remember? They uh-huh. tried to go for the
2: whole ICO thing, and now they've had to switch to this membership stuff. I don't like Moxie's justification for the coin. I think it's, it doesn't hold up. I'm disappointed in all of it. That's why I mentioned I'm I'm kind of keeping an eye on Fluffy Chat. You know, maybe maybe Dendrite or maybe it's just easier down the road to run a matrix server, too. They are working on that. And maybe the techie in the family or the social group sets one up. And, yeah. you know, then you put everybody on Fluffy Chat. And, and if
1: you're only using it for a, a family group, I mean, one, you might be, you know, like in your case, you could locally administer and get it set up so yeah. they can just chat on it. And I probably would use Dendrite in that case. And then two, like, depend, again, depending on the use case, but maybe you don't need to, you know, if it doesn't federate at all, It's much it seems like a much simpler set, yes. server to administer.
2: Right. You wouldn't necessarily need I mean, I'd probably want that, but you wouldn't necessarily need it if you're just doing it for family chat. Or if you
1: were using it for your small business or, you know, whatever, just internally.
2: Right. like a Slack alternative. Mm-hmm. In fact, that's kind of compelling because then later on, if you wanted to federate, you could. You still could, yeah. Yeah. Something there. All right.
1: Pegnut boosts in with 3,333 sats. Not sure which podcast you asked about this, but uh, on where to f- collect FLAC files. There is dmix.app which downloads tracks directly from Deezer. As far as I know, you with a premium sub to Deezer, you should get FLACs hmm. there, too. Okay. Uh, there's also LiDAR on steroids,
2: which bundles that whole process with LiDAR and lets you use LIDAR's interface. I experimented this as part of this transition. Right. I was telling the guys in the pre show, by the way, just an aside, we've had some banner pre shows recently for the members. I'm using Plexamp right now. I know about I know about Jellyamp, Jellyfinamp, but I'm I'm using Plexamp and I just got a whole bunch of flax of Christmas songs and I'm just making my own playlist and I'm loving it. It's working so much better than the streaming service for me because I'm at a point now where every single song plays I like. That's huge. Huge. Norcal geek boosts in with eight thousand and eighty cents. Ooh! Pew, pew, pew.
1: People who pronounce "gif" as shiv probably also have their toilet paper roll feed down the wall instead of the correct way,
2: over the top. It doesn't make you a bad person,
1: but you're definitely sus.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I just can't believe it when I sit down and I see it go in the wrong direction. I'm like, do you want to smash your hand against the wall? Am I like? Am I so odd? Like it just seems intuitively obvious which direction <laughs> the teepee should go. I just
1: assume, the you know they were in a rush. The last one was used up and just got replaced without much
2: thought. But you're just basically screwing future you, right? Like getting the paper toilet roll on right is a gift to future you, potentially for days. I don't know about you and your and your roll usages, but you know it's a gift that could last days. I just can't even with that. It's, I, I completely agree. I'm old enough that when, when everybody started talking about these animated things, they pronounced it the wrong way. And you know what? I'll adapt. You've always preferred Ziff. <laughs> <laughs> always preferred it so much. Part of, <laughs> so much. <laughs> so much. <laughs> Marcel boosted in with 25,000 sats. Keep the change, you filthy animal. If you guys want a good Bitcoin podcast on the top of the charts, then you should boost into the Bitcoin dad pod. Oh, thank you. I haven't mentioned that in a while. And uh, the Bitcoin dad just got back from El Salvador. He went down there for a Bitcoin conference. He went to Bitcoin Beach, got a real sense of what it's like on the front lines. And it's just last episode is just loaded full of his experiences and all kinds of news. He's a lot of fun to do a show with, you know, because he really is uh, clever and he stays on top of this stuff. So go check out the Bitcoin dad pod if you haven't. I'm having a lot of fun over there. Beardad0234 boosted with 10,101 sats. Pew, pew, pew. Binary sats. All of this really is a battle that took place this week. Something our audience stepped forward to help us do, and that is defeat Guy Swan and the Bitcoin Audible podcast from the charts. Beer Dad 234 came in with 10,001 sats. Cyberfighter came in with 3,000 sats. And Nomad Coder came in with 1,555 sats. It's a boost battle! And the Bosch threw 300 sats into the battle. All topped out with those 25,000 sats from Marcel to fight the charts, as well as our baller boosters. We did. We came out number one. Thank you, everyone. It was a fight of the ages. And we are all honored in your sacrifice. You are true warriors out there. Circus Freak came in with 12,000 sats. I've been a JB listener since 2007. My wife doesn't really know what Linux is, but she sure knows your voices. Keep up Uh the good work. Hopefully many more decades of listening to come. Well, hello, Circus Freak's wife. Thank you for putting up with us. Uh, Then Circus Freak tossed in another 4,000 sats to say, just forget figuring out the distro thing, guys. Here's a 2023 challenge. Build a JB Linux distro. Oh, I mean, then we would have an answer to that question,
1: right? That Of course we have to use the show's branded distro. <laughs> and then
2: he sent 15,000 sats just to say, Wes Payne, 2024. You're doing a good job. Um, You know, I have to say, I don't think I'd vote for you, Wes. Uh, I mean, fair. you're a good guy. <laughs> but I think if you gave Wes a lot of power, you'd turn into a dictator. I mean, he's a good guy now because he doesn't have the power. I don't know. Right? But you know what I'm talking about, Brent. You give Wes too much power. You know, I think he's
0: better than the alternatives it was bad. by far. So there's bad.
2: that. Okay. All right. Okay. That's fair. That's All just because
0: right. my motto is build it back. for <laughs> It's true. He got me up with that one.
2: Curious concept boosted with, <laughs> with 25,000 sats. Keep
0: the change, you filthy animal. Been really
2: enjoying the live stream. I'd love to see the value streaming enabled for the members. A long-time listener, first-time booster. Go podcasting! Yes. That's hopefully an early goal of 2023, if not the end of this year. We'll see. You know, we don't move quite as fast as we did when we were part of a bigger company and had more people. Uh, but it is something that is on the top of our priority list. In our sites. Yeah. In fact, redoing the whole RSS feed infrastructure, which we talk about on Office Hours. If you are curious, it's coming. And it's going to be a lot. See boosted boosting with 6,000 sats. B-O-O-S-T. 10-year listener, about time I share something with you. Oh, wow. Isn't it amazing how many first-timers, long-timers we're getting with the boost? Yeah. Incredible. Frickin' awesome. I have a suggestion for a new protocol for decentralized social protocols solving a lot of the issues with the current systems. I think you guys should check it out. Look into Nostr. N-O-S-T-R. Missed opportunity for Nostril. (laughs) Yeah. He says, good luck pronouncing that one. Yeah, has been a listener for a while. <laughs> uh, which means notes and other stuff transmitted by relays. It's Ooh. quite simple, but really powerful. And it has a dynamic community behind it and a lot of interesting services. More details linked here. We'll have a link in the show notes. N-O-S-T-R. I've been seeing this pop up everywhere. I've been seeing all kinds of different sites and services use Noster, the Noster protocol. Uh, Which bills itself as the simple protocol that creates censorship-resistant global social network once and for all. It doesn't rely on any trusted central servers, hence it's resilient. It's based on cryptographic keys and signatures, so it's tamper-proof. And it does not rely on any peer-to-peer techniques, and therefore it works.
1: (laughs) I like that. It totally makes sense, but it's just kind of amusing. They say, this is a work in progress. Join the Telegram group.
2: Uh, Which is a centralized social platform. That's... That's spicy. That couldn't be Matrix. No. All right. It's our last couple of boos, and we rounded out with a ditty from Mississippi Mayhem with 2,000 sats. Since we're getting all sappy and telling stories, I guess I'll tell mine about JB playing a big part in my life's history. My wife and I adopted our son right out of the NICU. I'd just come off a of deployment and was on R&R, so we were able to sit in the waiting room all day, trying to take every chance to just take it in. But he was too sick and coming off of a dependence of his biological mother's drugs. So we only got to see him for a few minutes per day. At the time, I didn't have a podcast app, he continues. So I spent a bunch of time downloading podcast MP3s and I played them through VLC. That's how I started listening to JB on the regular. So it's got a tie-in for me that goes just beyond liking Linux. I just thought I'd jump in on this and say congratulations to people getting married as well. That's a powerful story. That's wonderful, yeah. That's really amazing. You know, it's hard for us when we make these shows, it's hard for us to even fathom what you're doing when you're listening, where you're at in your life. It's really cool to hear these stories because that's just not something I would have pictured, you know, it's just not my experience. And so it's amazing to see that. Uh, And I really appreciate you sharing that with us, Mississippi. It just means a lot to us. You know, I do this now... I, I do this for bigger reasons than when I started. And so hearing that kind of stuff is is really awesome. We also got a hello from Germany, 600 sats from user 593, just giving us a shout. And then uh, Manuel, 222 sats from Italy, trying out Fountain FM. Well, hello there. Hello there. I'm right there back with you. Find Chris Lass on there and follow me. I'm going to be clipping more. If you'd like to send a boost into the show, we do love them. You can do that by upgrading to a podcasting 2.0 compatible app at newpodcastapps.com. And if you really want to knock our socks off, see if you can get Boost CLI working. Good luck. Set aside a couple of weeks. That's all. Thank you, everybody. Newpodcastapps.com. And, of course, you can always send us an email at linuxunplug.com slash contact. Couple of picks before we run. Uh, I have been uh, collecting tools to replace Evernote with potentially NextCloud, It seeming. That's the direction I'm trending maybe it's a joplin nextcloud combo maybe it's an obsidian nextcloud combo i'm not sure yet but that's the general direction and i wanted to cover two picks this week that are really useful when you're trying to capture data and store it long term one is an app where i can take something like a low res picture or something that maybe like i have a i had a picture that my a kid that my kid generated using the deep fusion stuff and it was really small tiny little output I'm like, oh, I want to save that, but I want to save a bigger version of it. And I want to make it look bigger and higher resolution, right? Well, that's where an app that is simply named Upscaler comes in. Hey And it upscales and enhances your images with that uh, nice high-end Vulkan and all that kind of stuff. So it can really kind of crank it out. Or, you know, it'll do it on the CPU as well. Um, it'll run a little slower, but it gets it done. I got it done on my Intel laptop just fine. So it's just simply called Upscaler. And so I dropped in a tiny, like three, three something by 500 something image and uh, put out like a 2040 by 2040. So it'll be much oh, larger. That is a quite
1: the upscale, And it worked.
2: It, you know, it's, it's a little softer or whatever, uh-huh. but it, it does the job. And so for me, with well, like pictures of license plates, things on documents that I want higher resolution, it's going to be great for that. And it's also, it gives you just one kind of option to tweak besides the size, like is this. A drawing or is this a photo? Give it a little bit of information, and uh, it can do a lot.
1: I love that this is just a,
2: a flat pack too. Like takes two seconds to install. So and, easy, and then you've got a high resolution image upscaler.
1: You mean I don't have to like go get some sort of proprietary software suite that has right. its own installer that has to do a bunch of updates and then West, sync, and then I have to put in even, my license key, and then I can finally upscale nope, my image.
2: No, nope. I mean no, nope. you don't even have to put a Docker uh, thing together and uh, fire up a container and run it through there through some web UI. It's just a good old little GTK app and a flat pack.
0: Can I ask for a little bit of clarification? Is this just doing like good old classic interpolation or is this like some kind of fancy AI rendering of
2: your original? Well, it tells you this tech. I just don't, I'm not familiar with it. It's a real ESRGAN. So I think it's like a, it is a more intelligent type of upscaling than just your traditional old school upscaling. So, and this real ESR Gen is an open source project itself. That's up on GitHub separately. You could set it up and run your crap through that. And it has support for Intel AMD and NVIDIA Acceleration. And what this developer did is just put it in a really easy-to-use GTK front-end that you just drag and drop the image on. And it's preset to a high-res, but you can adjust that. That sounds pretty lovely to me. It is lovely. And then, one last super handy pick for you all before we leave you this week. And it's called Frog. Frog made by Tender Owl also available on github what are these names i'm intrigued already it's available in the elementary os app center as well it has the elementary os design ethos and frog extracts text from images videos pdfs etc its tagline is extract text from anywhere quickly extract non-selectable text from pdfs screencasts web pages photos etc it does just that you give it an image And then what it gives you is a text document. So you feed an image in and it just scans all of the text it can find. And what you get is just a plain text document with everything in there. And I had surprisingly good results. Oh, nice. Now picture this. You're, you're going by a store that you want to revisit or something you want to check out or the price of something. You take a quick picture with your cell phone. Now, I would use Google Photos in the past to search the text of that photo. Definitely. Apple has recently introduced this in like an OS ago. And this is something that I've become reliant on these big commercial platforms for. super handy. And so going away from them, going away from Apple and Google, I needed my own solution for this. And that's where Frog came in. So it'll let you get the text out of any picture or video or for some reason a PDF if you can't select it. And again, it takes something that's rather complex on the back end. And it gives you a simple, clean GTK application. You just drag and drop, and you get the output. And it's also available as a flat pack, so really easy to get installed. I'll be curious to hear more about uh, how you fit that all into your workflow as you you build it. I'm glad you're interested, because I'm going to try to get you to do it one day. You know that's going to happen.
1: Uh,
2: (laughs) That's why I put the pixel in the box, just so that way you'd be like, that is nice. That'd be nice. You know, we could be Graphene OS buddies, you know? And then we could give Brent a hard time for using Lineage. Even though it's fine. <laughs> you know, th- this, is, this, is, this I know. is the part that's selling me. I know, right? We love giving Brent a hard time. So, I know, it's and great fun. I love you for it. <laughs> All right, well, uh, if you want to get together with us in person, we do the show every single Sunday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. We've got a mumble room that you can listen to live or jump in on the conversation. Of course, we've got the Matrix chat. All of that every single Sunday at jupiter.tube.
0: See you next
1: week. Same bad time, same bad station.
2: And links to everything we talked about today, LinuxUnplugged.com slash 486. That's where you'll get all that stuff. And if you want a little more Linux show, go get Linux Action News. Wes and I are breaking down everything that happens in the tech industry that impacts Linux in the world of open source. Lean means just what you need to know, get you in and out, keep you informed. LinuxActionNews.com. Also, big thank you to our members. Our core contributors keep us going, and they're getting some crazy great content these last few weeks, big pre- and post-shows. So if you want more Linux Unplugged, you can always become a member as well. Thanks so much for joining us on this week's episode. See you right back here next Sunday. You know, I think old Leo still using Linux. That's so great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, given us episode 486, uh, I'm curious how many of us have actually used a 486. I I was thinking earlier, and I don't think I ever have.
2: Wes, have you? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, I guess you were Pentium and older, I Yeah.
0: Guess, is that? Okay. All right.
2: Mm, boy, I'm not sure that I... What? Uh, really? No, really.
1: I must have.
2: Not, not even at school or anything? Well, at
1: school, we had a... I grew up on Macs, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah. But uh, I know my mother had a DOS PC that she used to complete her master's thesis. Uh, so I played a lot of Pac Man and Tetris on that. I don't know what the architecture
2: is off the top of my head. My school spent a lot of money on either a Mac or the IBM PS2 series, which I believe started as 286s. And this was like IBM's consumer PC. That's where, by the way, the M model keyboard also. Came to the masses, and I I seem to recall those were two eighty sixes, and then our school skipped the three eighty six line. My dad had one, but our school skipped the three eighty sixes, and went hard on the four eighty six, and then later on the Pentiums. But we just leaped right over three eighty six and went to four eighty six, and it was considered like this this massive upgrade. Everybody was uh, buzzing at the time. I mean, like in our opening clip, we played the fact that that's where they introduced speculative execution oh, for boy. better or worse but it's also when they up when they introduced user upgradable bioses the oh thing, wow you couldn't update your bios i mean i still don't uh so i don't really need that uh, package, <laughs> but I, I know i can <laughs> you do too come on i mean you don't probably unless it's easy right but now that it's integrated into like gnome software and stuff yeah it's uh, so... that's genome software oh right thank you i forgot genome thank you i'll get that right yeah, I I actually have a lot of fond memories of this era of computing because it's also kind of the very last before you could um run a system without a heat sink. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what I remember is like computers I built after that you had to have heat sinks and it just seemed really complicated. Everything gets yeah, more complicated. Yeah. The 486 was pitched as this uh this big improvement in multimedia as well. Check out the Intel commercial from the time.